Boom! All right, ladies and gentlemen, I get it. We just came off a gluttony week of turkey, but we got a good one here for you guys today as we explore the flavors, philosophy, and community behind the Urban Smokehouse. Let's get this one started. Here we go. Shut up and sit down. Look, a business can give you everything you want in life. Prestige, wealth, freedom, it can also take everything away from you. This show is for those who are willing to take that risk. These are the real life stories of entrepreneurs. But before we start, I have one small favor to ask. Please leave a comment. It can be advice, critiques, tips, feedback, or share this with someone because your engagement is the most valuable and most powerful form of social currency. So thank you, and welcome to another episode of Business Boss! Ladies and gents, our guest today has a passion for barbecue and his innovative approach to making it convenient for everyone promises an exciting and mouth-watering conversation. So welcome foodies and grill masters. Today we're joined by a remarkable guest who's traded his corporate suit for an apron and embarked on a mouth-watering journey in the world of barbecue. The man behind the Urban Smokehouse is here to tantalize our taste buds and share his passion for authentic, convenient barbecue. So we're going to explore his deep connection to food, his mission to bring quality barbecue to your doorstep, and how Urban Smokehouse has changed the game for barbecue lovers everywhere. So let's get this show started. Let's welcome to the show Mr. Andrew Bueller. All right, dude. First of all, your last name really is Bueller? It is. And surprise, I'm from uh, Illinois as well, or Chicago. No way. And I'm in a classroom. Literally, when I ask a question, I make that joke all the time. I'm like, Bueller, Bueller. It, it was the uh, the first joke of the beginning of every school year of every class for my entire <laughs> academic career. So I'm, I'm very used to it. <laughs> It's like it's like when you have a name that you know the teacher can't pronounce and it's the beginning of the school year. You just know your order in the alphabetical like attendance thing. You just know, nope, that's me right there. That's me. Yep. Go ahead. Come on. Come with it. Let me have yep. it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right, dude. Let's get into this, man. Um, obviously, everybody who comes on the show is here to promote something. There's a business model that they want to get out, a product or service. Yours sounds delicious, but if you can explain it like a five-year-old can understand it, what is it that you do? Sure. So uh, Urban Smokehouse sells pre-cooked barbecue foods direct to consumers uh, from our website uh, nationwide here in the U.S. Uh, and really the pitch is uh, barbecue is often described as being cooked low and slow, which means at a, a low temperature and for a very long time, which uh, if you ask me is inconvenient for most. Uh, I don't have three to five hours to smoke a rack of ribs, you know, eight to 12 plus hours to, to slow cook a brisket. And uh, so we do that vacuum seal those products, put it on ice and ship it to you. And what you get is a product that's pre-cooked. So it's technically safe to eat on delivery, but ultimately tastes a lot better if you throw it in your oven for 20 minutes or on your grill or in your air fryer, or really the device of your choice. And uh, it makes barbecue significantly more convenient. So the time constraints really kind of the pitch for everyone. And then uh, the urban element is, hey, if you live in the city, uh, you probably don't have a backyard. You probably don't have a grill. You definitely don't have a smoker. So Really, we kind of double down for people that live in uh, urban environments or, or, or apartments or condominiums or, or things like that. So that's kind of a target audience then, right? We're looking for those college kids that don't have the room to barbecue but want to have the barbecue. The family who wants to make that dinner on a regular basis but doesn't have time to stand outside and, and watch, the, watch the flames grow. Uh, who do you specifically target for your business model in particular? 
Yeah. So um, originally I thought it was going to be predominantly um, just people in cities, people that had, um, you know, that no, that no backyard thesis. Um, and actually is like uh, the past years unfolded. We've realized that uh, we have lots of customers uh, in the suburbs and, and rural areas as well. And it's, it's predominantly older people. Uh, you know, most of our customer acquisitions been from Facebook. Um, so that might be, that might speak to also this, like the Facebook demographics being, you know, a little bit older, Instagram kind of being a little bit younger and TikTok being the youngest. Um, but we've kind of found success on Facebook, uh, to date. And so we're continuing to, to focus on, uh, o- o- older people to date. So it's, it's predominantly men and predominantly people 55 plus. All right. So it's obvious that you went to college for barbecue. Um, you probably got like a minor in packaging and logistics, right? Like what's your background as far as education is concerned? How'd you decide to become uh, basically a barbecue connoisseur? Yeah. Um, so unfortunately, I, um, maybe that's something we'll do in 10 years, start barbecue university. But, uh, but you know, that wasn't, a, that wasn't a major offered at my school. Um, I went to Bates College in Maine. I studied uh, economics and actually Chinese language. Um, and I spent the first 10 years of my career in, in New York City working in financial services. Um, that said, food was kind of always the passion. I started uh, the Grilling Society in high school and in college. I uh, had an eating club as well where I, I hosted an annual pig roast for the school where we were you know, cooking a full hog and having you know a couple hundred students come by and have, ha- having some awesome barbecue. Um, and so it really was kind of the passion in the background, um, where I was experimenting and, you know, cooking for people and, you know, New York's a great place to eat a lot of great global cuisine. So enjoying the restaurant scene here as well, but, uh, spent 10 years in finance and then COVID was that natural self-reflection period for a lot of us where we spent a lot of time at home and thinking about things. And I kind of said, Hey, you know, do I, do I want to keep doing this for the rest of my life or, or do I want to pivot? And, um, decided to chase the passion project and it's, it's been working so far. So I'm happy. <laughs> you must have a lot of friends, dude. Cause I noticed that, uh, I, I, I have this thing. Like I, I noticed the more people I feed, the more people come and hang out like close yeah. to me. It's kind of a weird scenario that happens. Uh, how'd you get started? I mean, you said you started this in COVID. Uh, how'd you get started as a, as an entrepreneur, as far as, like restaurants are concerned, especially in COVID times when like people were not opening restaurants. As a matter of fact, it was the opposite. People are starting to shut those things down during that time. Totally. And again, we're not a restaurant. We're an e-commerce brand. So um, I think during COVID, especially if you lived in like the city, you noticed like in the lobby of your building or in the entrance of your building, every single day, there was more and more Amazon packages (laughs) or more and more boxes in general. And I mean, my building, for example, there was like a, call it a mail room or a place where they dropped all the packages off. Six months into COVID, the mail room was basically a closet and the regular lobby was just more packages as well. Like there was just so much e-commerce going on. And so also another trend that happened during COVID was uh, people were hesitant to like go to the stores themselves. So, you know, I think a portion of people used online grocery delivery, but, you know, three or four weeks into COVID, a lot of people were first time adopters of like, maybe I should get my groceries delivered. And especially for those items that normally people like to pick themselves. So I think of like, I was always comfortable buying, you know, Gatorade or Cheez-Its or some sort of packaged good online. But a lot of people want to like pick out the meat themselves or pick out the produce themselves. You know, you pick the three apples you put in the bag or you pick the, you know, the steak or the chicken breast that you want. And so COVID kind of forced this rapid adoption curve of, well, I can't go to the store anymore and I'm not going to not eat these things for a couple months. So I guess we're going to try it delivered online. Um, and so that forced a kind of adoption curve is where I 
started to see the opportunity and saying, Hey, you know, um, this used to be a niche, but maybe now, you know, more people will be interested or less hesitant to try to buy these things online. And maybe we, we want to explore building um, a food oriented business, a food oriented delivery business. Um, then barbecue specifically had that niche that I kind of uh, addressed in the initial uh, pitch, which is like a lot of people like these items, but a lot of people almost associate them with like, we're going on vacation to Texas and over there, we're going to try brisket because we never eat that at home or we never make that ourselves. Or like, we're going to St. Louis or, you know, one of these places that's like known for barbecue. And it's almost like a highlight of the trip and they're eating mm -hmm. one or two times a year. Or maybe you have like one friend in the friend group that has like a green egg and, you know, is offering to, to cook some ribs or brisket on a Saturday or Sunday. But it's something that a lot of people like to eat, but uh, are pretty much hesitant to make themselves from the time commitment, from the skill, from the equipment. And so um, that combined with like e-com was really where the, the thesis and the wheel started ticking. And um, I just started working on the business plan in the back half of COVID. And ultimately we did a Kickstarter campaign, which is like a crowdfunding campaign and, um, and uh, officially launched in July of 2022. All right, dude, everybody loves good barbecue, but at the same time, we're kind of hesitant, like you said, to order it online. We're worried about the freshness. We're worried about the flavor once we get it. How long does it take for packaging? Is a dog going to eat my package before I get to it, <laughs> right? Like all these different questions that we might have. What are some of the mistakes that you made in business um, that since you've launched and how have you improved upon them so that people can get their barbecue in a timely fashion where it still tastes good? <laughs> totally. Um, wasn't necessarily a mistake, but it's something that like we realized pretty quickly we needed to do more and more of. And I think with like food, um, it, the key thing is just getting someone to try it. And if you're an online business, you know, we're not a restaurant. I don't have the natural seduction or aroma of you walking by my establishment. And it smells good. And you're curious what we're cooking inside or something like that. Um, you got to find a way to feed the people because at the end of the day, um, making your customers the biggest advocates of your business is what's ultimately going to create success. Um, a five-star review or someone writing on Facebook or tweeting or, you know, setting a status or posting a picture of saying like, Hey, I just ate these ribs. They taste amazing. Um, the return on that is 10 X any sort of advertisement. Cause you trust your friends' opinions. You trust, you know, your network, your family, whatever it is, opinions more. And so, in the beginning, something I did is uh, I went around New York City and I approached a bunch of bars that didn't have kitchens, that didn't serve food, or maybe they had like, you know, potato chips, but they didn't have, you know, burgers or cooked warm things. And I said, hey, do you mind if I come here on a Saturday or Sunday and set up outside and, and do a pop up and just, and um, you know, give ribs to the people that are eating here and, and potentially sell them? And uh, most people said yes, because it was, hey, I, I can, your customers that are coming for two or three hours now likely can stay longer because they're not going to be leaving to go get food somewhere else. And so I just give away a free rib and sell, you know, a half slab or a full, a full rack of ribs to uh, people that enjoyed it. And that created that natural momentum or snowball effect in the beginning where it was just getting people to try the food. Um, and you see it in grocery stores all the time. Like if you go to like Costco or, or Trader Joe's or something, there's often two or three people uh, that are doing free samples of some sort of product there. And before you have any sort of brand or name recognition, um, very few people are going to, most people go to the grocery store with a list. Hey, I'm buying eggs, I'm buying milk, I'm buying, you know, broccoli. It's very hard with just your packaging to convince someone to like try a new product at the grocery store. Um, you really need to find a way to get people to try the product um, so that they can even, you know, think that it tastes good to start. And so 
just doing a lot of in-person sampling and sales in the beginning was super important. Despite this being an online business and us never have met, uh, never meeting most of our customers, we needed um, an initial group of people to talk about the product online and create that validation so that other people would be, uh, you know, willing to potentially try something. You're in, at the intersection of like Uber Eats, Amazon groceries, and like a restaurant eating barbecue. It's like they all kind of came together, and that's where that's where you kind of. Uh, we're born essentially, right? So yeah. somewhere in that in that middle part, uh, in and you're coming out in a time where things are completely different, like e-commerce and delivery, and people kind of accepting that kind of process is is new to the space. What would, what advice would you give to entrepreneurs that are getting started today? that are looking at some of these things as separate individual types of platforms and maybe they can kind of shift and mold them together to kind of come up with something like yours. Um, I think a mistake that a lot of people make um, is they think that they need to be like too innovative or too different. And they, uh, and you know, everyone hears these amazing success stories of, you know, a new app or a new company or a new product going from, you know, zero to, you know, a multi-billion dollar valuation. And there's, there's no competitors in the space. It's something completely different and new. Um, food's been around for a long time. You know, people <laughs> people need to eat to live. It's it's arguably you know the oldest industry in in the world, and so um, that doesn't mean that it can't constantly be innovated. It can't constantly be disrupted. Don't be intimidated by you know large industries that have been around for hundreds of years and have you know, or have participants that have been around for hundreds of years. You know, Kraft Heinz, Nestle. You know, there's companies here that are multi-billion dollar, you know, have decades and decades of experience. That doesn't mean that you can't make a new product. You can't make a new way of serving it. Um, I think people get lost in trying to make something completely different or, or, or radically different. And there's a lot of opportunity in just improving or, you know, marginally changing something that ultimately uh, is more impactful to the customer. You know, the change to you is this, but the change to the customer is, you know, uh, the change to you is an inch, the change to the customer is a mile. Finding those the, those those pivotal uh, opportunities, I think, is often overlooked and something that a lot of entrepreneurs should potentially consider. What do you feel like your company does best? Uh, I mean, everybody in the restaurant space has some particular, maybe it's a... a, a, a a uh, flagship product that they have. Maybe it's the the way it's delivered. You kind of had to innovate all those different things, but what do you feel that your company does that nobody else can compete with? Sure. Well, I mean, we have the best ribs that you can order to your house nationwide. I mean, that, that that's, that's clearly, you know, the, the, the business we're in, but um, if you're peeling back the layers of the onion and you want to go and you want a more business type answer, um, uh, I, I used to be an investor. I used to work for, you know, a, a couple different private equity groups. And um, a mentor of mine used to always tell people, we want to take the sniper rifle approach, not the shotgun. And what that meant was we want to learn how to do one thing really, 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 really well and better than anyone, rather than focusing on doing, you know, 10, 20 or 30 things just good. Because if we can do one thing really well, we can often hire or outsource or find other people that are then the experts or the best at doing something. And so really what I'm focused on doing is, is online sales and marketing. It's how do you, how do you build a brand online? It's how do you acquire customers efficiently online? How, how do I get the, the product to the customer in a timely manner where they're satisfied? 
how do I actually fulfill this? How do I, how do I get the customer and make the customer happy in a timely fashion? So that's what we're focused on. And so I don't do the fulfillment. I've partnered with, you know, someone who I think is, you know, one of the best fulfillment centers. And if you're selling a perishable good, you know, that's a uh, temperature controlled or climate controlled facility. They have to know how much dry ice to put in the box. It's different if it's being mailed to Texas in July versus Alaska in January. Um, because you know, the room's 120 degrees versus it's snowing outside. It's different if you live, you know, a block from the fulfillment center versus, you know, 10 States over, and it's going to spend an extra day or more hours in transit. And these are things that I didn't want to have to solve myself. And there are other people in the market you can go to and approach and say, Hey, you're the best at this. I'll pay you for that. So you have to kind of figure out like, what is that one or two things that you want to focus on and become the best at? And so in our opinion, that's kind of this, you know, how do we do customer acquisition? How do we, you know, get the product to people in the right time and stuff like that and figuring out which piece of that puzzle I own and, and where we should partner with other people so that the entire system uh, is flawless, but we're not becoming experts in a hundred different things. We're becoming an expert at one thing at a time. And as we get bigger, we'll potentially consider, you know, bringing other functions in house or becoming experts in other things. But for now, I'm, I'm trying to become an ex, an expert in customer acquisition online. <laughs> no, and that's that's good. I mean, and, and it's subtle the way you explain that, but it's absolutely crucial. Everything from where you're first starting out, and I'm sure you were doing the fulfillment at the beginning. It's how you were handing out the ribs to, for the trial run, how you were serving it to other people. You were kind of figuring stuff out. But as an entrepreneur, you grew to kind of replace those features so you're not doing some of those things. Um, can you kind of hover over that. Like, how did you decide that? Okay. I'm done with the fulfillment center. I know what I need to know for, for creating this product or service. Now it's time to find my replacement. What's the next thing I need to work on. Now it's time to find the replacement It's implementing the systems. I think a lot of entrepreneurs kind of skip over and they get caught and trapped in the day-to-day -day fulfillment of a business, never actually growing a business. Can you kind of hover on that for a second? Totally. And, uh, there's another thing to add that I want to actually hit on that too, which is, um, it's actually very important to think about these things very early because this is the difference between, um, honestly, being a mom and pop and being something that's scalable. And if you don't know how, it, uh, I don't want to say anyone can service 10 customers, but it's hard to go from 10 to a hundred to a thousand to 10,000 to a hundred thousand. And the business looks very different as you kind of take those leaps and, um, unpacking like <laughs> what is the difference and how you get there is as you kind of alluded to systems and processes, but you kind of want to overinvest or think about that early so that you don't get that hundredth customer. And then you have what I call a champagne problem, which is I'm glad I have a hundredth customer, but I don't know how to serve the hundredth customer. You know, this is now becoming a problem. And so it's very important to kind of constantly be thinking about this question of scale and how do I, if the business continues to grow and continues to thrive, how do I in three or six months successfully service double my existing customer base or triple or quadruple. And so when I started, when I was, initially thinking about the business, um, I kind of wrote the plan. I wrote the plan for what this thing should look like in five years before I wrote what it should look like on day one. Mm -hmm. And then you, and then you water that down and say, well, I'm, I don't have investors, you know, I'm a, you know, I have some savings, but like, how do we try this with, you know, outspending an arm and a leg? How do we try this with just a little bit of money? And now we know the things as we hit different milestones that we're going to want to spend on quickly to make this thing scalable. Um, and so in the beginning, you're right, you know, we did pretty much everything ourselves. Another thing we did in the beginning, which I think is huge is we did a crowdfunding campaign. And the reason that can be helpful is because, um, you're essentially just doing pre-orders. 
you're saying, Hey, if you, you know, our goal is $25,000, but you know, if you give me a hundred dollars, I'll, I'll mail you four racks of ribs, you know, I'll do this for a t-shirt, this for X, Y, Z other incentives, but you collect money before having to spend any of it. So I'm not building inventory and worried if I'm going to sell it. I already have $25,000 in my pocket. I already know the people that want the product. I just have to fill it. And hopefully it was, I made a good product because then I can ask them for a five-star review. Mm -hmm. And then I have that validation and I don't have, I don't, I'm not $25,000 in debt. I'm break even, but now I have a couple hundred customers. Hopefully 90% of them said they were happy. Hopefully they can start talking about that. And that's how you kind of de-risk, or at least I de-risked the process of building a business entirely on my own with, you know, not a significant amount of capital in my pocket and knowing slowly but surely, hey, once we, you know, hit this amount, we can afford a distribution center. We need to bring that on ASAP. Hey, yeah. once we hit this amount, we can afford to, you know, outsource this process, which we don't want to become an expert in. Let's let's make sure we, you know, we know where we want to go for those and let's do that when, when it's appropriate. Isn't it uh, strange that you decided to find customers first to figure out how to fund your venture? Because I feel like a lot of times we have an idea. We think it's awesome. We think it's the best idea out there. We spend all kinds of money trying to develop the idea, um, bring it to market, market it to try to get the message out there, spend all kinds of time, effort, and money, and we haven't even sold a thing. And you kind of worked this backwards. You were like, look, first, let me see if I even have a product. Cool, I got a product. Let me see if people are actually interested. Pff, crowdfunding, now you have a, a an interest base. And you've generated your own revenue, so you're not starting at negative. You might start at even with what you spent to, to get started, but you're, you're, you're building a business based on customers, and that's kind of an important aspect. And then you also mentioned that you wrote that five-year vision of your company before you had the watered-down version of your company, what you wanted it to look like uh, towards the end. Can you share with me that vision? What's that vision of that end goal look like for you? Sure. And, um, there's a couple of different ways to think about it too. So, I mean, in the end, um, you know, I think barbecue as a category is the business. We started with one product. I only sold half slab. I sold half slab, sweet baby back ribs for a year. I hope in a few years we'll have an all encompassing menu that has, you know, many proteins, pork, beef, chicken, accompanying sides, you know, macaroni and cheese, vegetables, things like that. But again, we didn't want to overinvest in making 20 SKUs and have, you know, two of them sell and 18 be duds. We also wanted to make sure that we could make one product really good and it would be scalable so that if I do sell a thousand, I can make 10,000 the next month, et cetera, et cetera. And this is kind of what I talk about the watering down. So it's, it's a lot, it, often people, it's it, often easier to see where you ultimately want to be, but it's hard, it's hard to then distill it into like one super simple task. That is the proof of concept. And then you add incremental things onto it to make the business even better because right now, when you start with just pork baby back ribs, I mean, one third of the world doesn't eat pork. So, you know, one third of the world is already not a prospective customer. I want them to be my customer. So, you know, I'm happy I've launched beef brisket. We're launching pulled chicken next month. Eventually we'll have vegetables and other sides, but um, you can't worry about that right away because, um, <laughs> you know, th there, there's, there's enough opportunity in pork to make a dollar. You know, there's probably not enough opportunity in there to make, you know, tens of billions of dollars, or, you know, a much greater number, but uh, it's baby steps. It's baby steps. And so the product roadmaps, one example where, you know, I have a vision of what I'll refer to as an all encompassing menu, but we started with just one product and one flavor iteration. Um, the other example is like sales channels. So um, we built a Shopify store. Um, you know, right now we're in the process of building our Amazon store. Um, ultimately, um, you know, we're going to be on 
the various marketplaces that are integrated into different social media, TikTok shop, Facebook shop, all that jazz. Outside of e-commerce, I think once we've built a big enough brand, um, which I'm calling kind of the milestone of 10 million in annual sales, we're going to potentially consider uh, retail as well and sell some of these products and, and grocery store. Um, but again, you kind of water that down and say, well, which one do I want to go for first, retail or D2C? Okay, what's the best product to pursue first? We got to do one product, half slab baby back ribs. Okay, and, and these are kind of the unwindings versus the vision, if that makes sense. And um, there are other aspects to it, but I think those are kind of like the most tangible for like the consumer or someone thinking about from the business on, on the outside. There's also tons of milestones internally, which we touched base a little bit on earlier for when do we do things in-house versus when do we hire people outside? When does someone go from a part-time slash contractor position to a full-time position? Understanding how to scale things up and down and when to do things yourself and when to trust an outside expert um, is a very challenging question. And it, it touches really every aspect of the business and you need to constantly be thinking about that um, and understanding what the return on that investment is for everything. You know, when does it, when does it economically make sense for someone to do this full time? When does it economically make sense to attempt a new sales channel or a new product? Um, these are the questions we ask every day. Yeah. And I, I love how you, you kind of break that down to get all the way down to, to the ridiculous. I mean, you have an, a vision of multiple products, multiple things going out, even have uh, retail locations, but you started with just one product. You started, you were going to get really good at, uh, and, and the things, I mean, there's some things that you didn't even talk about that kind of play into effect here. Like the fact that uh, where do you open a retail location? I don't know, probably where you're selling a lot of product. I mean, that's kind of some of the data point that you could be looking at to, to kind of grow into that vision that you want later on down the road. There's so many cool little things that you're not missing by focusing your attention on just the one product to get started to do it right. Uh, and and, uh, and I don't know you personally, but at the end of the day, most people get into business for that time freedom and that financial freedom. And I feel like the way you're building it, uh, after speaking to over a thousand entrepreneurs, you're well on your way to do that, to build a company where you do have that time freedom, you do have that financial freedom, um, just because you're building it as a business and not as a as something that's taking up and consuming your time on a regular basis. All right, Andrew, if people want to reach out, man, they want to find out more about your ribs, how they can get some of their ribs themselves delivered to their spot. How can they do that? Yeah. So our website is www.urbansmokehouse.co. So .co, not .com. And the website URL is also our handle on all social media. So we're at urbansmokehouse.co on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube. Um, those are the best ways to reach out. If you want to try the product, visit the website. If you want to contact us, you know, shoot us a DM on Instagram or any of those social handles that I, I, uh, I referenced earlier and, uh, happy to talk business, happy to talk barbecue. Um, really appreciate you having me on the show as well. This is fun. <laughs> of course, man. And I can't get, uh, I can't leave this episode without getting, uh, a, a little, uh, a little fat bastard in here. Get in my belly. You do, and you're doing your baby back ribs, man. All right, uh, Andrew, thank you very much for coming on the program, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Urban Smokehouse, uh, I took it off there. Urbansmokehouse.co, urbansmokehouse.co is the URL and the social media handle. So if you're getting a little hungry, if you want to know what to order, it'll come to your doorstep, and all you got to do is 
pop it in the oven for 20 minutes, air fryer, whatever it is, and get your grub on. Andrew, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace. Thanks again. This was super fun. <laughs> it's over. Go home. Is your business in need of marketing? Try starting a podcast. But not just any podcast. Podcast like a pro. We can show you how to take your business from being invisible to becoming a brand people trust. Go to www.businessbros.biz to get started.